Say, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. This is a truth that transcends all of our circumstances and struggles. Sometimes we need to declare the truth in the face of our lives and in this world. The best way to live in the reality of God's goodness is to begin with thanksgiving. No matter who you are, no matter what is going on around you, you can claim the reality of the goodness of God. And this begins when we focus on that which we can be thankful for, namely God himself. We give thanks to God not only because of what he has done, but because of who he is. God is good and his love endures forever. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can outlast it. Nothing can compare to the love and goodness of our great God. So may we worship him this morning with joy and thanksgiving in our hearts. Our reading from the gospel this morning comes from Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt there, tied, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it. And we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray together for Pastor Mike. Lord, we... Two in our hearts shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Asking today, Lord, that as Pastor Mike comes in the name of the Lord, that he would be blessed and his words would be your words. And that in hearing them, our hearts would respond with joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I know some of you liturgical purists are saying in your hearts, my gosh, today is not Palm Sunday. It is here. You know, we, we, Keith and I are walking through the common lectionary right now in this, this story, which tells the story of Jesus in a three-year cycle. And during this time of the year, you get to next Sunday, which is Palm Sunday in the Christian church, in the, in the Western Christian church anyway. And it tells you that it's Palm slash Passion Sunday. And on those days, you're supposed to unpack Palm Sunday and unpack the the, pa- the passion of Jesus, and we said, we don't need to cram all that together. So this week is Palm Sunday, as you heard just now. Wasn't that glorious? What we just heard? Yeah, that was fantastic. And next week, we'll go into Passion Sunday, which, of course, leads us to the week of Easter that you see the announcements for. I hate parties. 
All that celebration. That's what one of my friends said to me this week. I hate parties. All that celebration, it just annoys me. Everybody's so happy and loud and all that kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, man, that's awkward. You know, I just went through a a three-party Friday. I had... Wonderful Mary Lee in the, in the bell, that directs our bell choir, retired from her uh, mortgage paying job. And we had a great party. And then I went to my college roommate's party who retired after 38 years of working at Rockwell College. And then I went to another party that was just a, a kind of a music party. And I had no hate in my soul for any of that. I, I loved every minute of it because I loved to celebrate. I, remi- I reminded, was reminded of this, uh, of a simplistic way of someone telling me this. Years ago, I was in Granada, Nicaragua, which is a town about the size of Cedar Rapids, and, and uh, it was just a day. It was a weekday. It wasn't a special day or anything like that, and I walked up, and I was trying to get from here to there, but the street that I needed to cross had a parade going on it, and so I, I walked up beside a guy who, who I was hoping knew my language because it wasn't his first one, and I said to him, what's going on? What's this celebration all about? And he looked at me and he says, I don't really know. I think we just need celebration. I thought, that's awesome. We just need celebration because I agree with that. Our lives need celebration in them. Our life, which is a gift from God, something that God gave us out of his great goodness, is best when we celebrate. Our life is best when we celebrate. You know what? I want to tell you, 745 service failed this quiz so pay attention (laughs) have you ever been to a wedding okay a lot of you some of you are married and you're not even raising your hands i'm like (laughs) but but have you ever been to a wedding where the pastor stood in the middle of the of the place or that you were at or the or the officiant and just said i now pronounce you husband and wife okay everybody go now that's it now, there's always something, even in the most modest wedding, you're at least going to Pizza Ranch or something afterwards, right? There's always a celebration after, and I, I look around this congregation, and I've been to some of these wedding celebrations that, that you have paid for or you've arranged for your children, and I got to tell you, they're fun. I love them. I, Teresa and I were, were, were excited this summer, this past summer, how many times we walked out of a wedding reception this summer and just said, that was so fun, so much dancing so appropriate food and it was just perfect because we love to party i'm not like my buddy i don't i don't hate parties i I love them and i I was met a few weeks ago with the exuberance of a couple of you who who met me out here in the in the church and said we're so excited our 50th anniversary is coming up and everyone can come all of our kids can get off work all of our grandkids could could be here it was literally literally you know, bubbling out of them. They're so excited. They can't wait for that moment. And you know, I think sometimes my life is most fun when, when it's centered around planning for some party that's coming. Don't, don't you love it when, you, when you've got a party of some sort out there that's important to you in the calendar and, and everything about your life is planning for that Celebration is a gift from God. Oh, by the way, got a great celebration going on right here, right now. You might not know it, but little Ethan Leo's at church for the first time, isn't he? Yeah. Don't wake him up. <laughs> Don't wake him up. He's only, what, he's about 17, 18 days old now, something like that. 
He showed up at church. Now that's a party. We're going to party him in a few weeks up here too. But see, celebration is a gift. Now everybody wants to see. But see, celebration is a gift from God. You, you, we see this when, when we see Jesus at the wedding of Canaan in Galilee. I, I, I want to remind you that it, you know, Jesus has so much of this ministry going on that it feels to us as if he just happens into things. But that's really not what happens. Jesus is an invited guest to the wedding at Cana of Galilee. He's expected to come. Now, I'm a guy that had the privilege of paying for two pretty big wedding receptions over the past few years of my daughters. I had that great opportunity. I hope you get it too sometime. <laughs> but I love doing it. But I want to tell you that those, those receptions were, were three or five hours long. The party that Jesus is invited to is likely seven days long because that's how long an Israeli wedding uh, celebration would have been. So, so you don't just happen along into that. You plan that. And of course, in the middle of it, he, he assists the steward of the feast by, by giving, uh, changing 150 gallons of water into wine. But the point is, Jesus was at the party. And I always tell couples that are coming to get married, Jesus was at the party because he wants to celebrate with you. He wants the best for your life together. And he wants to dance and sing in joy. Planned celebrations are wonderful. We love to plan these parties. We love to plan the, the, the wedding receptions and all that. And, and those that give a party love to plan them. You have a wedding or, or, or a party planner in your, in your circle of friends, don't you? They just love planning for these parties. When, when I went to these three planned parties on Friday, let me tell you, they didn't just happen that morning. There were invitations sent out for all of them. The right kind of food buffet was set up for each one of them. There were decorations, you know, I mean, sorry about the black balloons at one of them, but there were b beautiful stuff. It was all ready. Everything was right and wonderful and celebrative. Many of you are planning parties right now. I, I haven't talked to a single one of you that says, oh man, Easter's coming. All the people I love are coming to my house. This will be terrible. I have to buy food, probably going to clean. No, that's not it. You're like, I can't believe it. We get to get together. We get to go to mom's house or, mom, or the kids are coming to our house or, or, or we're having their neighbors over or whatever. It's all this celebrative things. And I want to tell you because of the, of the center of today's worship, when you have Holy Communion, it, it's not just planned by us. Yeah, we have it the first Sunday of every month. You, you know that, those of you that come. But it's a planned celebration of what Jesus has done for us. He's done that which we cannot do for ourselves. And so every month we put the bread and the juice up here and give you the opportunity to put it in your own hands and to, to taste it with your own taste buds to be reminded that, that, that this, even though it's of a very dark day, it's about the celebration that lasts forever. It's about partying with Jesus in an eternity. So, so we love those planned celebrations, but I also, don't you love spontaneous celebrations too? Spontaneous celebrations are unforgettable. I, I've had more times than a few, you probably had this in your own neighborhood where you might the next day say, hey listen, we were just all together and a party broke out. We didn't know we were having a party, but everybody was there, so we just did. It was great. See, Palm Sunday that Keith read about and that we sang about, that we rang about, is a spontaneous celebration. If anybody knew it was coming, only Jesus. It's a one-float parade. 
Can you imagine driving downtown Cedar Rapids for a one float parade? Find a parking spot, figuring out those new parking meters they got. Walking down there, carrying your blankets, putting your lawn chair up, sitting there waiting for the parade. Nobody's throwing candy out. Just one parade, one, one, one float. And it's just a guy on a donkey. And not only that, he, there's no streamers and he's not throwing candy or beads at you. People are throwing their coats out in front of him and ripping tree limbs off. You think the parks department would love that downtown Cedar Rapids? But this is what's happening. And, 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 and the people there are withholding nothing. They are screaming and shouting. And it almost appears as you read the scripture that it's a parade that's moving with the one float. It's moving down the hill from, from Bethany, from the Mount of Olives to, to Jerusalem. And it's unforgettable. And I think, and I always have loved the Palm Sunday message, because I think the Palm Sunday message is very instructive for us. I think it tells us a little bit about our own lives. It tells us that that as Christians, we need to understand that parties are important because, I I don't know about you guys, but way less than 50% of my life is a party. How about you? Way less than 50% of our life is, is the party. So, so the party is, is part, and part, part of our lives. But the party that Jesus was having on Palm Sunday, it didn't change his mission. It didn't distract him from where he was going. It was a celebration of praise in the midst of their difficult world. It was a celebration of praising God. Like, like Psalm 118 says, you praise God in all things in the midst of the difficult times that are cascading down upon you. Because celebration of God, partying with God... It's always done with the full knowledge that this is not an escape. When we come to worship here, we're not trying to escape all the stuff in our lives. We're coming to prepare for it. See, I think a good Christian party is a preparation for all that's coming to us in life, not an escape from it. See, the celebration of the praise of God cannot be obstructed. In the midst of our current difficulties, we need to praise God. Over the last six or so weeks and over the next couples, we've been having this affirmation of faith. We're right in the middle of it. And if you're guests here, maybe that kind of threw you off today. Where we sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now here's the thing about Christians. We sing that not when it is well with our souls, but because we know it can be by the one who loves us. It it as well seems dissonant from those on the outside. How can you be singing it as well with your soul when you're having problems at work? How can you sing it as well with your soul when you're having problems at home? How how can you sing it as well with your soul when you're not all together in one place and one part? It seems dissonant to our life situations to sing that, but we celebrate wellness, it is well with my soul, because we face difficulty not by ourselves. We face every difficulty that comes down the the pike. And we're going to teach little Ethan Leo over here that no matter what comes to him in life, he is not alone. He can celebrate because he has a partner, the great and mighty king. That's why in Psalm 46, I love this line. It starts that psalm where it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. doesn't say that he might come along in trouble. He might be somewhere where you can reach him in trouble. It says that he's right here with you. Now, 
Pastor Keith and I, and many of you, have been working with youth for a long time, seeking to, to, to enroll them in the faith, teaching, to, seeking to have them grow in their faith. And so every once in a while, we'll have a student stand here or at summer games or somewhere else, and we'll say, well, tell us about your faith in God. And almost every student I've ever come into, at least a great majority of them, will always say somewhere along their testimony, well, I just love God because he's always there. Because he's always there. And, 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 you know, which is right. I mean, he's not a God that we have to text or send a message and say, God, come along. He's, but we, they say, we're always, he's always there. And, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. So I can remember sitting at a tree by near, near, near a tree at, at, uh, uh, summer games with a student a few years ago. This little girl was talking to me. She had some other stuff. And I asked her to talk to me about God. And I said, well, what do you think about God? He's always there. And I want to dig deeper. I want more than that from her. So I start talking theology, and I said, well, what, what, what more do you think he... And she just kept saying, well, I just love God so much because he's always there. And, I, and, and she could see that I was kind of like, like, come on, dragging out. And I was getting a little bit annoyed with her. And she just sat there for, for about a minute quietly. And then with the power and the innocence of a ninth grader, looked at me and said, oh, Pastor Mike, what possibly more could we need? It is well with my soul. And I can praise him. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We praise God in every situation, not, not, not because he, he cleans up our difficulties, but he puts his, his perspective on our difficulties. He puts our difficulties in his perspective, and our perspective only needs to be that he's there. Our perspective only needs to be is that he sees our difficulties through his perspective. And so we can't withhold our praise. I know, you know, I've got a lot of friends in pastoral ministry in different parts of the country. And often they'll call me and said, how are things up there with the frozen chosen? That's what they call us in northern United States, you know, the Protestants. You know, it's kind of like uh, when someone here once said, you know, you told that joke and it's pretty funny. I almost smiled. You know, we're not going to run up and down the aisles with banners and floats and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you could, but we're going to notice. But we could become more exuberant. See, because in the praise of God, we need to be less inhibited. We need to be, the praise of God can't be inhibited, but we're inhibited by, by so many things. Even, even when I said, have you ever been married? Only about a third of you were willing to bring up a wedding. What does he talk about a wedding? What is this thing? But we don't want to stand out. But in praise of God, we need to be not inhibited. But we are. We need to let go. I, I, I was at General Conference of the United Methodist Church in May. 800 and some delegates there. Um, nearly half of which outside, from outside the United States. And it had this parallel to our world right now. 
there was this moment of confusion where the bishops, all 70 of them, weren't sure as to what to do next. So kind of like if you've been watching the NCAAs, when the three refs go over and look at a monitor and they watch something back and forth, they're trying to decide what to tell everybody else that they're going to do next. The bishops were kind of like that, but it went on. There was confusion. There was 15, you know, five minutes and people were kind of nervous. And, you know, Chris, you know, all the Americans trying to figure out what's going on. And about 10 minutes in, 12 minutes in, the Africans... And remember, we're talking about a lot of different countries, a number of different languages, all that kind of stuff. Just start singing this song of praise. And I mean, they're swaying and they're setting the Oregon Convention Center on fire with this praise. And I don't know what they're singing. It sounds cool, you know, but they're singing this praise because when they don't know what to do, they praise God. The only reason I know that is because after the song was over, several folks walked to the microphone and said, that was so very disrespectful. Until finally an African bishop said, we apologize to you uh, from other countries when we don't know what to do. We sing our praises to God. We think one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry, we were all over here trying to figure out what was going to go on next. But, But what they did was they just let it go. They were singing such as it was. They weren't singing it as well, but they were saying in the midst of not knowing what's going on next, in the midst of all the difficulties, it is well with my soul, so let's just party. Let's sing and let's sway together. When we're praising God, we have to let something go. You want to see a biblical example? Let's look at 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel, sorry. So the background of this is, and some of you know this story pretty well, but in the background of this story is the Ark of the Covenant, that's the Ark, you know, the big gold box, if, if you don't read the Bible a lot, Indiana Jones, that big Ark, okay, that, that's, and you should read the Bible and know it from better than Indiana Jones, but in that Ark is supposed to be the Ten Commandments and some manna from the wilderness and, and Moses' um, staff. And it's been away from Jerusalem for a long time, and David has recovered it with his armies, and some things have happened that have delayed it getting back to, to, to Jerusalem and then this story. <clears throat> now, King David <clears throat> was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. This is a happy moment. This is something they've been longing for for many years. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. That's how they worshiped then. That was a a, a sacrifice to the Lord. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. With all of his might. You ever seen anybody dance with all of their might? Let me put it in terms of a rave or whatever dance stuff is going on right now. He got sweaty dancing. He was using everything about him to dance. When he, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. This was a happy moment. This was so big that David had to let it go. He had to let everything go. He, he, in, in organ terms, he pulled out all the stops. He let it be loud. He had to celebrate. Now, anytime there's a party going on, especially when it's one towards the Lord. Not everyone sees exuberance as righteous. I told you what happened at General Conference. Let me tell you what happens in the narrative of Scripture. Very next verse, Samuel six sixteen. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, parentheses, David's wife, 
watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. See, the peril of praising God is not everybody gets it. The peril of praising God is that you will be discovered. We would certainly permit you to praise God any way that God was leading you to praise, whether it's here or somewhere else, but people do notice. And that's okay because I want to tell you this. I say this to students all the time. I have people all the time that will come to me and, and I talk to them about their faith and at some level, at deep level, I'm saying, well, do you believe in God? And they're kind of like saying, well, yes, but I'm in God's secret service. And I tell students, God don't need no secret service. He don't need any secret service. He wants everybody that loves him to be out. He wants his people to praise him. That's what we've read from today. Because in praising God and celebrating God, there's great rewards. For one, it's fun. Didn't you have fun singing the songs today? Didn't you have fun? I mean, weren't you just having fun when the bell choir and the choir were going after it this morning? I mean, for one, it was fun for me because I'm like, no way I can contribute. They're doing that party for God and for us. It's fun. It's, it, 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 your spirit will be lifted up. I've, I've never seen anyone that would come in here and sing some of their favorite hymns and say, well, we sang all my favorite hymns and I feel much worse. Right? And I'll tell you what, if you risk praising, God's going to smile. Not because you do it so well, but because he loves what you're doing so much because he knows it can only come from your heart. Because you can fake songs and you can fake dancing, but you can't fake praise. It's a celebration that comes out of your heart that goes straight to the heart of God and he knows what you're up to. And I want to tell you the other peril of praising God. The other peril of praising God is that you link yourself to an eternal opportunity. You tie yourself to an eternal opportunity because the life of praising God, the life of celebrating God has no end. You see, praising is the mission assigned to us. That's what Pastor Keith read in Psalm 118, that the mission of God's people is to praise him for as long as we have breath. And the wonderful adventure of serving God begins with praise. It begins with celebration. Look at what Psalm 150 verse 6 says, the last verse of the Psalms. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, some of you, that might be too loud. It might be really loud. It might be clapping. It might be dancing. It might be singing. It might be with a microphone. It might be at an organ bench. Some of you might, might want to really make some noise and make his name known. That's how you praise. For others, here's the thing about celebration. It can be pretty quiet. It can be pretty quiet. I, I'm going to make fun of myself a little bit because I was at a, the third party I was at was a bunch of kids from primarily three different ethnic groups. And when the band was playing, I don't, I don't know if you ever know how white people of my generation act when bands are playing that they like. They kind of do that. They don't dance. They go. <laughs> right, like that. I looked at this kid to my left of me, and I just, the, fa- the look on his face was, you're so white. <laughs> but that's how you praise. That's how I was celebrating. I was, I was into it as much as he was, but just we do it in a different way. So I just want to tell you, not all, not all praise fits in the same box, right? Not all celebration fits in the same box. Some of you need to celebrate with quiet because some of the best praise in God you can do is related to your watch. It, it relates to just giving God the time that represents you to him 
whether that's in prayer, whether that's in reading the scripture, whether that's simply just being quiet and reflecting on all that he's done and and to see what's next. But the praise should never end. The praise should never end. Because it doesn't end. In the scripture story that we have for us, look at what it says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. This is a picture of the throne room of God. This is a picture of ultimate worship. And I got to tell you, if you're reading this for the first time, there's kind of some freaky stuff in here. But should get your attention. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped praising and saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. By the way, was, is, and is to come encompasses all of time, everything before time, and everything after time. Was, is, is to come. So how can we get our hands on that? You know, on a, on a Palm Sunday celebrated within a congregation, how do you get your hands on that? And of course, because it confluences with this first Sunday of the month, this is how we're going to go about this today. See, Holy Communion is an invitation to the throne room of God. It's, it's an internal invitation in your spirit to take you right to that very throne room that we just spoke of so that you might experience full and complete worship. Worship of the one who was and is and is to come. Is it going to be right in this room? Yes. Are Keith and Vicki and some others going to be distributing the bread and juice to you? Yes. Is God present? Absolutely, if you throw yourself into it. Because as you know, He always is where you are. You simply need to notice. So your life needs to celebrate. Let me make it clear and simple. Here with bread and juice, or here in this sanctuary with with bread and juice, you're able to celebrate your redemption. Because as Christians, we believe that once we were no people because of Christ, we are God's people. Once we were lost, now we are found. Once we are doomed to the, to, 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 to the weight and the just reward of our sins, but now if we receive him, we are free in him. We are redeemed. We are given our full value. So be unobstructed when you come forward. Let no thing, let nothing stop these elements, this bread and this juice from getting into your hands. Let nothing obstruct you from taking in the Jesus that you need into the life in which you need him right here, right now. Celebrate the communion, which, by the way, communion, we often think that communion is this stuff, bread and juice, but communion is oneness with God. That's what this is all about. So when you come forward, celebrate the communion that you have with the Lord, which each of us has that doesn't have any end. So, so, so please come. And celebrate this wonderful sacrament. Because this is all for you. This party is between you and Jesus. Now, I want to quickly explain Holy Communion in the United Methodist Church. We believe in an open table. So if Christ is your Lord, or if you desire to receive Christ as your Lord, then this is for you and you're invited to come and take. We'll take communion through a very simplistic method known as intinction, which means we'll have stations at both ends of this aisle. It will be easiest if you would come as the ushers guide you from uh, the back to the front, down these side aisles, and then return through the center aisle. Please feel invited to pray and be in communion or celebration with God as long as you'd like at this altar rail and then return to your seats. Below me uh, on my feet, there are bags that uh, 
I'll be consecrated in just a few moments to be taken out to those who cannot join us uh, for one reason or another uh, and that our communion team takes them out. So you know well the liturgy that is to follow. On the last evening of his life, our dear Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread in front of his disciples, broke it, and ate it. Now remember, this took place in the context of the celebration of a Seder supper. So they were all together. And he said, this is my body, which I give to you. So every time you eat, eat bread in remembrance of me. And after the supper, and everyone had taken their fill, the Lord took a cup, raised it to heaven, offered it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you, for in this cup is the wine which represents my blood which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat bread, drink wine in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of all of God's mighty acts of salvation, past, present, and those to come, we eat the bread, we drink the wine, knowing that salvation and true celebration comes from God and God alone. So let nothing obstruct you coming to this table. Let nothing inhibit your praise. This is for you.